Good morning. Good morning. You guys were ready for church today. It's not every day the congregation shows up ready to sing from the first line. So uh, well done to the music team, the tech team, to the congregation. And I think we could see you singing at home and hear you from home. So thanks for uh, praising the Lord. We've got something to sing about. So it's good to do that. I am not Joel Wells, but I am Dallas Beitler. And I get to be uh, one of the pastors here at the Rock Church. And I'm grateful to be able to introduce to you our guest speaker today. I've known Joel well since we were in high school. Uh, he was in Regina. I was in Whitewood. And that's about five years ago. <laughs> or something like that. Five and a half. Yeah, that's more accurate. And Joel pastors Harvest City Church in Regina, and he also, a couple years ago, uh, became one of the apostolic leaders of the Lifelinks Network, which is a fellowship of churches that the Rock Church is a part of. Uh, I've lost track of how many continents Joel has uh, uh, preached on. He has done a lot of evangelistic work in Africa and is a crusade preacher over there. He has a, a great team and lots of good stuff going on in Regina. He's also a fisherman. If you got the email, you saw the great big fish. Did anybody see that? Yeah. What I didn't do was show the picture of his dad who had the smaller fish. And I'm pretty sure that his dad loves Joel so much that he traded fish with him. Oh, no. Sorry. That's not very nice, Joel. Joel caught the big fish that day. Joel, would you come? I want to pray for you and uh, give you as much time as, uh, as you need today to be able to speak. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for my brother Joel. Thank you for uh, him, his family, his uh, ministry, the church in Regina, and the, and the larger role they take in the Lifelinks Network. And so, Holy Spirit, would you do like you've done hundreds of times before and anoint him to bring your word in power and authority and may our hearts be open, and as Jesus said, to those who have ears, let them hear. And so today we put ourselves in a position of hearing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Give Joel a big round of applause. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be here with you this morning. It's been a few years since I was here, but I always enjoy coming to, to Saskatoon I don't usually invite myself into places to preach, but I kind of have this running thing with Dallas that if my kids are doing sports in Saskatoon and it works out, if he'd like me to preach, I'm available. And uh, so he hasn't said no to me yet, which is kind of, which is nice. So I always enjoy coming here and being with you all. It's great to see a full house this morning. There's a lot of churches that aren't full these days. And so it blesses me to see all of you that are here uh, this morning, and I believe that God really wants to encourage us uh, today. Oh, look at this. I got a maple bug on my notes. <laughs> Not sure what that prophetically means this morning. But. Well, I know you've been doing a, a series of messages based on the miracle stories of Elijah and Elisha because Dallas told me that you were. And uh, he asked me if I would be able to continue on with that series this morning, and I thought, I think I can do that. And so uh, I'm, I'm happy to, to, I guess, start on Elisha today. So, you know, this has been a difficult season of life, hasn't it? Uh, probably the last year and a half uh, as a pastor, uh, I've never had a year like this uh, before, and I've certainly been through times of discouragement. 
times of despair. In fact, I would say heading into this summer, I was hanging on by a thread. And uh, I got to summer thinking, I can't continue like this. God, I need to, if something doesn't change on the inside of me, I'm not going to last. And uh, it's kind of had me on a journey the last couple months, to be honest with you, which is sort of even what I want to talk to you about this morning, about even diving down deeper and letting my roots grow down deeper in Christ. I sort of realized that the relationship that I had with God wasn't, wasn't enough to sustain the current levels of pressure and disappointment and uh, needed to find God in a deeper place. And that's really what I want to challenge you all with this morning as well. I'm sure that there is many of you here today that maybe need to be encouraged and uh, are even looking for some hope. And one of the things that I'm praying today is, God, let me infuse some hope in this church this morning. Let me encourage those that need to be encouraged this morning. So that's my desire in preaching this message. The title this morning is Hope Beneath the Surface. Hope Beneath the Surface. You know, it's amazing what happens when hope is found. Hope empowers. Hope fills you with energy. When you have hope, you have strength. Hope can bring you through the toughest obstacles. It doesn't matter what you're going through. If you've got hope, you can get through it. But when someone loses hope, something just dies on the inside of them. When someone loses hope, they become powerless. They become weak. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I believe that having hope is absolutely crucial to thriving in life. If you don't have hope this morning, I can tell right now you're not thriving. Someone said, when there is no hope for the future, there is no power in the present. And the scripture has a lot to say about hope. In fact, the Bible challenges us over and over to have hope to be people of hope. Paul said in Romans 12, verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Hope is absolutely essential to our lives. But here's the ironic thing. Sometimes allowing ourselves to hope actually can lead to deep pain. Sometimes hope just feels like a setup for disappointment. Could you agree with that? I don't even want to hope because I might just get disappointed if I do. Sometimes we feel like this. I hoped before, but what I hoped for didn't happen. It made my heart sick. The pain of disappointment went so deep, I'm not going to hope again. I can't handle that kind of pain again. And there was a woman in Scripture who experienced that kind of pain. The pain of a hope unrealized. And her story becomes the background of our text this morning in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. One day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She must have been an awesome cook because after having dinner there one time, he's like, every time I'm in town, I'm going to her house. And so she said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof. 
and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he'll have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One day Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went to this upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, the woman from Shunem, uh, tell the woman from Shunem I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her we appreciate the kind concern that she has shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a, a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. She was a wealthy woman, it told us. She didn't have any outstanding needs, or so it appeared. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? I mean, she had been a blessing to them. He wanted to be a blessing in return. What, what can we do for her? And Gehazi replied back, well, she doesn't have a son. And her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you're going to be holding a son in your arms, exclamation point. He's excited. He's sure she's going to be excited to hear this news he's giving her. No, my Lord, she cries. No. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me. Don't get my hopes up. I'm, I'm sure her response shocked Elisha. He thought he was going to be giving her something that she wanted to hear, and she said, no, don't say it. Don't tell me that. I'm sure it was because of so much disappointment. Obviously, she'd been trying to get pregnant for years, and it hadn't happened. And her husband was becoming an old man, it tells us. Well, what about her? Doesn't say how old she was, but my guess is she was probably getting on in years as well. Childbearing years perhaps over. And as a result of these years of disappointment, this desire to have a son and not seeing that hope realized, this deep wound of disappointment is on the inside. She's got money, she's, they've got everything, but what she desires the most, she cannot have. And there is, is a wound there, and as Elisha speaks to her, he sees her, she's bleeding all over the place. This wasn't what she dreamed of when she got married. She, when she got married, there was this desire, obviously, for a family as well. And as the years went by, it's like a part of her has died, she was surviving, it appears, by pushing this pain deep down on the inside. If I, if I don't think about it, if I don't feel, I can survive. And now here is Elisha standing in her doorway and flippantly saying, guess what, in a year you're going to have a son. And she can't handle him being so flippant about it. Here's Elisha asking her to believe again in an area where she has long died. And she's almost angry at the thought. But verse 17 says, sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. At that time, the following year, she had a son. 
just as Elisha has said, wow, a miracle has taken place. This wound in her heart, this wound of disappointment has been healed or is healing. But then the unthinkable happens. In verse 18, one day when, when her child was older, so some time has gone by, she's enjoying having a son, he's going older, the wound of disappointment has healed. Her son's out helping the father, working with the harvester. Suddenly he cries out, my head hurts, my head hurts. I don't think his father realized the, the seriousness of the situation and said, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home and his mother held him on her lap, but around noontime he dies. Unbelievably, after the pain and the disappointment that she's gone through and that she thought was over, the child is taken from her. We can only imagine what was going through her head in those first few moments. I mean, you, you can imagine panic, despair, anger, I'm sure hopelessness. I'm sure every emotion was present at this time. I don't know many of you in this room this morning, but I'm sure of this, that probably all of you can relate in some way to the story that I've shared. We've all had those moments in our lives when our hope was under attack. We've all had those moments when things just didn't turn out the way we thought they were going to turn out. Many of us have dreams and visions that we've been hoping for, some for a long time. Some of us have been so disappointed from things that have happened to us in our lives that we don't want to hope this morning. We don't want to believe again because we can't handle more disappointment. In fact, even maybe hearing that there's, this message is going to be on hope this morning, something's triggering inside of you. I don't want to hear it. I've heard messages on hope before and on faith before, and I can't handle it this morning. Hang in there with me. Because some of these things, many of us maybe are here but going through the motions in our faith. We're here but not really here. We're going through the motions in life but there's no real strength left to flourish. Doubt and disappointment are ruling the day. Killing our vision. Killing our purpose. I can tell you, church, that I've been there at times in my life. And I find this. It seems that my hope is always under siege. I've been married for 24 years this December. My wife's name is Angela. Angela has battled ulcerative colitis our whole married life. Right around the time we were, got engaged is when the disease hit her. In the past, she was very ill from the disease, particularly around the birth of my first child, Eden. That was, apart from Eden being born, that was great, but other than that, it was the worst year of my life. Angela was extremely sick that year. She passed out a number of different times in Safeway, and remember that day, wheeling her out to the car on a meat cart. She... Uh, 
you know, face was all puffed up from the prednisone that she was taking and tried all sorts of drugs and medication. Nothing was working. Losing a lot of blood in those days, a couple transfusions she went through that year. Life was just not easy for her as a young mom. And it certainly affected me as well. Those of you who have lived with the illness of a spouse know the pressure and frustration that that can put on a relationship. And our relationship was under pressure. And I wasn't doing well. I'll tell you, I was angry. I was bitter. You see, I thought to myself, this wasn't supposed to happen to us. I grew up as a pastor's kid. I was under blessing. Angela was a missionary's kid. Uh, We went to Christian school. We made some of those tough decisions in our life, even in our dating relationships, so that God's blessing would be upon us. We we weren't going to have the baggage and the pain that, that some other people had in their lives because we had made some tough choices to do it right. And now God's blessing was going to be upon us. And I was called to preach the gospel, and I was going to move in signs and wonders and miracles and power. There was no way sickness was coming anywhere near our house. No way. But it did. Hours of prayer and fasting. And there were many hours. Didn't take it away. I read books on faith. I read books on healing. I interceded. I declared. I rebuked and confessed. And she just got worse. I was bitterly disappointed. I was mad at God. I had hoped, and my hope was deferred, and my heart was sick. And one day, in a time of real anger and bitterness, a real low point in my life, my father found me. If you don't know my dad, is Dave Wells. He was leader of LifeLinks for years and pastor of our church. He was the pastor at the time. And he caught me in the hallway of our church. He said, so how are you doing, Joel? And all my bitterness and anger just came gushing out. I don't understand this, Dad. What's God doing to me? Why is this happening to me? And I was expecting that my dad would console me, put his arms around me, give me a big hug, Give me some words of hope. And this is what he said to me. What makes you think you're so special that you don't have to go through anything in life? Those were his exact words. What? How rude. I'm at like one of my lowest points. And you're telling me what makes you think you're so special? Because he was hearing me saying, I have done all these things right. God owes me. He owes me. And he doesn't owe me nothing. And he said to me, I had to go through it. He reminded me, my mother died, almost died of the same disease when I was five years old. It went so fast. And my mom, she was in a hospital for several months had part of her intestine removed at that time and has lived with an ostomy bag ever since, since 1979. 
He said, I prayed and confessed. Your mom didn't get better either. <laughs> She's alive, doing well. It's a difficult time for me too. Been through all sorts of things in my life, Joel, that I don't understand. He said, I can understand how you feel, but he challenged me. He said, Joel, you've got a great opportunity here. If you will learn how to respond correctly in this moment, it will put iron in your soul. He said to me, you want to preach the gospel? I said, yeah, I do. He said, well, then you're going to have to go through some stuff if you're going to have anything to say. I didn't like those words when I heard them. I don't even know if I fully understood what, what he meant. Iron in the soul. What's that all about? Let me tell you what I now think it means. Iron in your soul is talking about having a hope that isn't just a surface hope. It's a hope that gets beneath the surface. It's rooted in a deeper place. I heard Stephen Furtick one time say this, that disappointment is not the enemy of hope. It's the doorway to deeper hope. Disappointment is a doorway, actually, to deeper hope. That's pretty profound. Colossians 2, verse 6, Paul says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. And let your lives be built on him. He's talking about a foundation beneath the surface. Let then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Only then when your roots grow down deep, when your life is built on a foundation beneath the surface. And so Paul is reminding the believers here about the day they accepted Christ. Most of us can remember that day. It was a day when we were filled with faith and filled with hope as we discovered God's love for us. And Paul is challenging the Colossians. You need to continue in the same way you started. He's challenging them of their need to let their roots grow down deep, to really build their lives on Christ. Why? Why would Paul say that to them? He said it because Paul knew that adversity and disappointment and confusion are all part of the journey of faith. There is no journey that doesn't go through those towns. There's the town of disappointment, the town of confusion, discouragement. They're all there on the journey. No journey is without those things. It's only those whose roots grow down deeper in times of discouragement who are able to flourish. You see, I've discovered it's easy to have hope when everything's looking good. It's easy to have faith for healing when you're not sick. It's easy when you're sensing God's presence. But can you have hope when God seems silent? If you can, that's a deeper level of hope. When I read the, the stories of the great heroes of faith and the scriptures and even Hebrews 11, these were men and women who learned through trials and disappointments that hope is not based on circumstances and situations and on what is seen. Deep hope is rooted in something 
deeper than that is rooted in the love of God and his character. And that's why Paul prayed for the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, he says, I pray from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. Paul is is speaking of the glorious, unlimited resources of, of Christ. And he speaks of these believers being empowered as they place their trust in God and allow their roots to grow down deep into his love. That would keep them strong. That was the place I needed to come to in my own life. I needed to determine whether my heart was going to trust God even when I couldn't understand Him. I needed to remind myself of the character of God. He's faithful. He's overflowing in love and compassion. He's the God who sees. His shed blood on the cross is all the proof I need of his love for me. He's for me. The Bible is full of verses describing who he is. David said in Psalm 119, verse 81, My soul faints with longing for your salvation. Have you been there? My soul faints as I long for your salvation. Many of us can relate to being in that place. But then David continues, but I have put my hope in your word. What happened here? David let his roots grow down deep. He found a hope that lies beneath the surface. His hope was based on the word of God, the things that God had spoken. And he said, even in my despair, even as I long for your salvation, I'm going to live there. I'm making a choice to live in that place. Whenever I read the Psalms, it's always fascinating to see the struggles that David had emotionally. We love the Psalms because we can relate. The raw emotion of despair and wondering where God is and crying out for salvation. These were times when in the natural all hope was lost and God seems to have abandoned David, but as you read through the Psalms, you you also see David in these times allowing his roots to grow deeper. In Psalm 71, verse 5, he says, For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I'm going to praise you forever. David says, I've been confident in the Lord since my youth. I've always hoped in him. Does that mean he never doubted? No. (laughs) Several times in the Psalms, he makes this statement. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? He had moments in life when he could say, my soul is disturbed. I'm anxious. I'm all in a turmoil on the inside But in those moments, David would preach to himself. 
And he would look at himself and, and speak to his soul and say, Soul, put your hope in God. Soul, I see you. You're a mess. What is your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions? They're a mess. Soul, put your hope in God. Reminding himself where hope is found is centered on the unfailing love of God, on the one who's great and mighty and Lord over all, the one who's faithful forever, the one who spoke creation into existence, the one who can make a way where there is no way. And as he allowed, uh, and, and as David did this, he allowed his roots to grow deeper than his feelings and emotions. In Psalm 33, he says, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. That is comforting. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death, keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He's our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. David's hope wasn't rooted in horses or his army. It wasn't based in circumstances. His hope was rooted much deeper than that. He rooted it in the unfailing love of God. I love this verse in Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 1. This is the prophet Isaiah. He's prophesying. Uh, this is one of those prophetic words prophesying to the coming of Jesus. He says this. I want you to notice the imagery here because to me it's, it's profound. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. What's the context of this prophetic word? The context is Israel is in shambles. The nation of Israel is in captivity. The great kingdom of David has been destroyed by sin, turning their backs on God. The glory of the nation of Israel is, it has been removed. The nation is decimated. It has been cut down to nothing. Just a stump remains. And Isaiah stands in this place. And he says, there may only be a stump left. On the surface, it looks like it's over. On the surface, there's nothing left to look at. But beneath the surface... There's still a root system. And there's still life in these roots. And he stands and he says, and from this stump, from that which has been cut down, there is a branch that's going to appear. And it's going to bring fruit. You might be in a season of your life where you feel like everything has been cut down and lost. What you hope for is gone. 
Maybe some things have happened to you because of your own bad choices, just like the Israelites. You've paid a heavy price for it. Maybe the world looks at you and sees nothing but a stump. Maybe you look in the mirror and you say, there's nothing but a stump. Look at my life. But I want to ask you, where are your roots today? Let them grow down deep into Christ. He's for you. He's faithful. He's a redeemer. He's a restorer. He took that broken nation of Israel, and from that broken, cut-down stump, the Savior came. The one who would bring salvation to the world was the branch that came from that stump. You see, it's not about the stump above the surface. Our faith is, is rooted beneath in the God of the impossible. The God who calls that which does not exist into existence. The God who can even raise the dead. The God who works all things together for his good according to his riches and glory. Hebrews 6.19 says, And we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure, it enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He is our hope. Our hope is in him. You see, it might be storming on the top, but beneath the surface, I have an anchor, and it goes all the way to the bottom, baby. All the way to the bottom. My hope is Jesus, and my hope is in Jesus. I'll conclude with the ending of the story. The Shunammite woman has her son die in her arms. But when I read on, something's different now than the first time Elisha came to her. Something's different when she said, Elisha, don't give me reason to hope. No, don't say that. She has seen the faithfulness of God. She saw God take that which was dead and bring life. And even though everything inside of her, I think, is in a turmoil, something has changed. There has been a healing inside. She's seen God do the impossible. And as her mind is, is beginning to race and as despair is hitting she allows her roots to grow down deeper in this moment. And she places her faith in the power of God, the one who can bring the dead to life, and she refuses in this moment to wallow in despair. She refuses to give up, to, to bury herself in her pain and, and shut the door on it all and to turn off life. She did that once, but she's not doing it this time. There's been a shift inside of her. And she allows herself, her hope to go to a deeper place. And she takes this boy and she carries him into the upper room, it tells us, and lays him on the bed of the man of God and shuts the door and leaves him there. Why did she do this? I'm not sure. Perhaps she thought nobody's going to go in this room. Nobody's going to see the boy laying on the bed. Maybe because this is where she got the promise in the first place. 
And she was going back to the place of promise. And she leaves him there. And she sends a message to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why are you going today? He doesn't know what's going on. It's neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. I mean, his boy had a headache. He, he hasn't had any idea what's going on here. Why are you going to see the man of God today? It wasn't a normal time to go to the prophet. He's confused. Notice her words. But she said, it'll be all right. That is profound. This is not the same woman. It's going to be all right. Her husband doesn't know what's happened. She doesn't tell him. She just declares it's going to be all right. That is a hope beneath the surface. So she saddles the donkey and says to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha sees her in the distance. He says to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is here. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you and your husband and your child? What does she say? Yes, everything's fine. Really? We know everything wasn't fine. She doesn't waste time telling Gehazi what happens. She's going straight to the man of God. When she comes to the man of God at the mountain, she falls to the ground before him and and catches hold of his feet. I want to tell you, she's grabbing onto hope with both hands. It's fleeting. Let me tell you, there's a war going on the inside of her. She's clinging. She's clinging. Gehazi tries to push her away. I mean, we, she must have just been like, I'm not letting this guy go. Leave her alone. Elisha says she's deeply troubled, but the Lord hasn't told me why. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? I didn't. In fact, I said, don't get my hopes up. She reminds Elisha, this was God's promise to me. I didn't come up with this idea. It was his promise to me. He gave it to me when my hopes were dashed. And I'm here to collect my promise. He did it before. He can do it again. Elisha says to the servant, hey, go ahead and lay the staff on him. That's not good enough for her. Uh Uh-uh. I'm not leaving unless you come with me. That's basically what she says. Surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not leaving you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead, laid the staff on the boy's face. Nothing happens. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on the couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, just him and the boy, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and he laid on the boy, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hands to hands, as he stretched himself out on him, And the boy's body got warm, but he didn't come to life. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room. What was he doing? I think he's praying. And he gets on the bed again. And he stretches out on the bed again, one more time. And at that, the boy sneezed seven times. If that happened today, we'd give him a COVID test immediately. (laughs) And he opened his eyes. Alive. 
Elisha summons Gehazi, said, call the Shunammite. And he did when she came. He said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. It's interesting to me, just as a bit of a side note, that Elisha himself had to contend and fight for the promise of God. His staff didn't work. Laying on the body didn't work the first time. After much prayer and intercession, the boy came to life. This woman's hope had gone down deep. Her tree had been cut down, but her hope was rooted in something that couldn't be seen. It was rooted in the promise of God. And in that place of despair, she clung on with both hands. I'll end with this verse. Hebrews 10.32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in great conflict full suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully Remember, Paul said, be joyful in hope and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew, that's a hope beneath the surface, that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. Don't lose your hope, is what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. Church, when the storm is raging and you feel like you've been cut down and you're stumped because you don't know what to do, my challenge to you this morning is Drop that anchor and let it go all the way to the bottom. Let your roots grow deep. Let your hope get beneath the surface. Don't throw away your confidence. I don't know how it's all going to turn out. But I know this. God's for you. His grace will sustain you. He's with you. He sees you. When you turn to him, he empowers you. He gives you grace to walk on the storms of life. You know, I've had some times lately, like Peter, where the waves and the wind have got my attention. And I've been drowning. I was drowning in August. And in that moment, I went, what do I need to do? The same thing you've preached for years, Joel. Look to Jesus. My testimony is this morning when I was drowning, I cried, help! And I found when we cry, help, the Lord is right there to lift us and hold us and walk with us. I find myself looking at my church these days, half of what it used to be people all upset and angry and I'm looking and I'm seeing a stump of what used to be 
But as I'm allowing my roots to go down deeper into Jesus, faith is coming again. Joel, there might just be a stump. But where's the roots? There's going to be a branch coming out of this stump. There's fruitfulness coming out of this stump. And I find myself prophesying. Give me a year. Give me two years. The story's not over yet. We might not get some of these people back. But in the midst of it, I see new people coming. New people finding Jesus. And I've just made up my mind, I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. And I'm going to keep praying. And I'm going to keep believing. And I'm going to keep hoping. I want to challenge you to do the same. I don't know what's going on in your life today. Let your hope go down deep. Father, I pray for the people of God this morning. Father, I pray that you would empower them by your Holy Spirit. I pray for those that are discouraged this morning. I pray for those that are broken. I pray for those that are weary. I pray for those that are heavy laden. You said we could come to you and you would give us rest. Father, I thank you that in you is peace. In you is strength. In you is life. In you is hope, true hope. And Father, I pray for a Holy Spirit infusion of hope this morning. I pray you would break heaviness off of the people of God. I pray you would break despair off of the people of God. Father, I pray where the enemy uh, is shouting, I pray that the whisper of God would pierce through the noise. I pray this morning that your words, I'm for you, I'm with you, I'll never leave you, would be words that would be branded on the hearts of the people of God. Father, I pray that you would take those stumps, those places of brokenness, and do something spectacular. I pray that those stumps, uh, Lord, would become places where new life comes forth for your glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name.